So you're sitting there listening to this podcast, listening to the stories of other doctors who found freedom through direct primary care, and you're sitting there wondering whether or not it's something that could be for you, wondering how you could start your own DPC practice. Are you ready to take control of your practice? Are you ready to provide the personalized care your patients deserve? The DPC Summit is your gateway to success in direct primary care. Join us for an immersive experience designed to empower you with tools, knowledge, and community support needed to launch and thrive your own direct primary care practice. Discover the freedom to practice medicine on your own terms without the constraints of insurance companies dictating patient care. Visit dpcsummit.org to secure your spot today. We'll see you there. Direct primary care is an innovative alternative path to insurance-driven healthcare. Typically, patients pay their doctor a low monthly membership and, in return, build a lasting relationship with their doctor and have their doctor available at their fingertips. Direct primary care is about restoring the doctor-patient relationship. DPC is giving excellent, small-batch, unrushed care to our local community. We are doctors Jake and Christina Much of Defiant Direct Primary Care. And, and this, this is, is our DPC, DPC story. Today on the podcast, we have husband and wife team, doctors Christina and Jake Much of Defiant DPC. They both attended college at William and Mary, and then they went on to attend the West Virginia School of Osteopathic Medicine. The team opened Defiant DPC this past August, 2020. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Christina and Dr. Jake. Hi, thanks so much hey, for having us. Thanks very much. We're really excited. So you guys are fresh out of residency, and I love that you've already opened your doors. I wanted to ask to start our, our talk. As the DPC movement is becoming more mainstream, how did you guys come to learn about DPC and what was the process like deciding to open right out of residency? You know, it's funny because even though the DPC movement has been gaining a lot of traction, uh, especially within the past few years, it was actually something that we discovered, I want to say back in like 2010 or so. It was uh, an article that we came across, uh, Dr. Jay Parkinson, um, he was uh, one of the first people to do anything like direct primary care out of um, uh, New York. And I read an article how he described his DPC house call practice. And it it just kind of uh, blew up, like his site went viral. And I started following it and reading more about this whole movement. And I think that was the first point where I kind of envisioned, okay, if I were to decide to go and become a doctor, what exactly would a, would a practice look like? And I hadn't even decided what a specialty was. I just kind of looked at that and said, wow, that's, that's really cool. Another reason we were drawn to his story was that we um, had contemplated family medicine in general and community health and kind of wanting to um, bring healthcare to communities that were lacking access, lacking um, transportation, lacking the resources they needed to get the same healthcare many other communities were getting. And he specifically targeted a lot of the um, communities that were kind of that stereotypical starving artist type community, artists, actors, comedians, um, people who, who generally did not have insurance and needed healthcare too. And so he made it work. Um, he made the overhead work and made, you know, his practice model work despite the fact that he wasn't necessarily um, bringing care to the most um, financially well-to-do communities. I really love that you guys learned and followed his story and have developed your own DPC. I definitely think that it is easier for us who are going into the DPC journey recently to look back and see how successful other people can be. It definitely helps people on their DPC journey when there's sometimes tough days out there. But at the end of the day, that idea of bringing affordable, accessible medicine to all is something that we can really make happen. And you guys are doing that. So, so congratulations to you guys. Thank you. I want to ask with regards to the people who are still in residency or about to enter residency, what advice would you guys have for those contemplating a similar path? 
I would say um, do not be too quick to sign on to a contracted job. <laughs> we felt so when you're in your third year of residency, you feel very pressured to sign on and find a job, find a job very quick. Um, and sometimes it leads you to being pressured to find anything and just feel like there's no time and that you don't have the um, ability to really um, sit back and say, what do I want in a career? What do I want my job to look like? And there are so many more options out there. Um, and so really taking that time to say, okay, there is hospital employed jobs. There are private practice doctors that are still around. There's, um, you know, federal federally uh, qualified health uh, clinics, you know, there's so many options. And I think in residency, because they're hospital sponsored, that's kind of all you tend to see. Yeah. And to add to that, I would say that a lot of times when you have medical students and residents who have been on this track for so long in a medical hierarchy and like, this is the way things are kind of mindset. One of the uh, temptations is just to go into a safe and stable track. And one of the things that we discovered was that sometimes the world changes a little bit and things that were previously labeled as the safe bet actually seemed far more risky um, because the world has certainly changed. And so we realized that, and certainly advice that I would give to residents and medical students is if you've already decided on your specialty, that's, that's one thing. And if you're going down the path of direct primary care, it is really helpful to figure out what it is that really makes you feel like you're doing your best work. So I know that I love disproportionately being able to spend as much time as I need with a patient. And I never want to have to apologize for um, running. I never want there to run late or have to you know, apologize for running late again. Um, I want to be able to spend however much time is needed to solve the problems. And so if that's the goal, then you as a DPC doctor can kind of reverse engineer that and say, okay, so what is the schedule going to look like so I can create those conditions I say I want? And that autonomy for me is one of the biggest values. And it's been really impactful as we grow our practice because we can say to a patient, hey, this, if we're going to solve this problem, it may take more than you know, 30 minutes or so. And so we're looking forward to being able to spend all of that extra time getting to know you and figuring out how to best um, manage your care. It's ironic that you guys bring up the points that you do because you're, you're so right. One, in that this is the, the, this meaning the corporate system is all we know because this is the corporations or who runs our residencies. But I think that, you know, that idea of, getting the golden handcuffs right out of residency so that you have uh, a, a temporary um, satisfaction, you know, a, a salary that might be guaranteed for one to two years. And then um, that the third year or the fourth year, the, the RVU contracts start popping up. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is, it is something that people do need to look to look into the future about it, especially because that you really can lock yourself into a bad situation um, that, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, you might regret. And so kudos to you guys for doing this right out of residency. I hope that your word gets out to other residents and that, that your words allow them to have the courage to choose a path like you guys have. I appreciate that. Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it, it's not without risk, but it's kind of like anything else in medicine. It's always the risks versus benefits, right? And so obviously everybody's situation is different. And we were fortunate enough to be in a situation where we felt comfortable doing it right out of residency. But um, I think it's also like good to for for residents to know that there's many different paths to the same thing, just like with picking specialties or getting into med school. And so um, just because um, one person did it, you know, 20 years after fee for service versus right out of residency versus X, Y, or Z, there's so many different ways to get back to DPC. And so um, it just will be a different journey for everyone, but we're grateful that we are in the place that we can, we can make it happen. Yeah. And I would say that medical students tend to be very risk averse. We're selected for being 
um, cautious and always erring on the side of caution because our mindset as we're growing through the medical system is one of patient safety. But that's not the same thing as calculating for, um, I guess, um, a lifelong and enjoyable practice of medicine. And what I mean is that when we're balancing the risks and benefits of deciding to go through with DPC, a lot of times jobs that are employed may feel safe, um, but you're, but that's you know under the guise of um, of doing a specific set of tasks um, that someone's telling you to do, whereas we kind of looked at it and said, okay, what's, what is truly more risky? Um, being in a system where you see 30 patients a day for 30 years and potentially burn out or quit medicine early because you're so burned out um, or taking a small risk now that other people have already demonstrated as a successful model and potentially having a, an entire lifetime of an enjoyable and successful practice. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Lauren Hetty, and I practice at Direct Doctors in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. And I just wanted to do a shout out for Mother's Day to all those mom docs who are out there and are thinking that maybe they might be wanting to think about something new, like practicing direct primary care. I would say as a mom of three, 10 years into this, it's the best decision I've ever made. And you can definitely do it too. Definitely. I want to ask you guys about how it felt last summer when you guys were opening your doors for the first time. <laughs> uh. That's a great question. Um, it was a mixed bag of emotions for sure. Um, I think it was both absolutely exhilarating with equal parts terrifying. Um, yeah. And I actually very vividly remember um, posting in the DPC doctor group and being like, uh, did everybody else feel this way? Because I'm kind of I'm really excited, but I'm also very terrified. Um, can I do this? And you know, got back such overwhelming support um, that it was, um, you you know, it, it, the day, you know, went through and, and it worked out and there were definitely hiccups by um, many means in terms of um, business logistics and uh, renovation log logistics and all sorts of fun stories. But um, in, in the end, it was um, it was I feel like triumphant, even though it wasn't perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're so, I guess, bred as medical students to that perfection is the mark mm -hmm. um, of success. And really that's not as helpful a mindset when you're doing, when you're carving your own path, there's going to be things that, you know, it, that the whole journey is defined by obstacles. And so going through and assuming that each one, you'll, you'll instantly know the right answer before you encounter it is a very tough task to demand of anyone. And so looking at each obstacle that's presented to you as an opportunity has been a huge mindset shift for me personally, because I tend to be very neurotic about these things. <laughs> and in, in doing so, it's helped me understand that, hey, we're, we're, we're going up a hill, but it, it's worth it. And, you know, it, it may burn a little bit as you go through, um, but you're getting stronger each day. And that's been very helpful for, um, for me as we kind of manage the ups and downs, um, you know, all of the wonderful highs and lows that come with um, doing your own practice. Absolutely. And those are lessons that I hope people will take to heart. Uh, we hear over and over from different people in different words, the gist of when a person opens a DPC, it really is opening a new chapter of personal growth. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, this is definitely something that where I'm glad you guys felt supported on your first day, even though you did feel a little bit terrified because the support is unquestionable out there for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and, and, you know, the whole small business side of things, I think sometimes can be um, something that hinders um, people from thinking about DPC as an option or hesitating um to think about whether or not it's right for them, but it is definitely learnable and it'll have its ups and downs. But like Jake said, it's so worth it um, in order to have the freedom to treat patients um, how you see fit. Um, and it's definitely something that you will have support doing because there are so many DPC, DPC doctors before us 
who have helped us out with that side of it. And we learned medicine, right? Like we all went through medical school. That is so hard. And so you can learn small business. It'll be a fun learning opportunity, as Jay said, and you will have um, some many challenges, but um, it's definitely doable. I can't agree with you more on that because just thinking about, you know, all the lectures and all the rotations we had to to live through in medical school, I, I can't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. I want to shift the conversation to while you guys were in medical school, you had a wonderful experience doing medicine in the Himalayas. Medical missions are definitely something I want to expose my sons to later on as they really make you see and appreciate life differently. So Please t- share with us your guys' experience in the Himalayas. Yeah, it was um, it was wonderful. Um, right between our first and second year, I want to say God, it was a while ago, um, we had an opportunity that just sprung up um, to do a medical outreach trip to the Himalayas. And um, it was a really different type of medical outreach trip, specifically because it was sustainable. And so the entire model that this particular company used wasn't kind of a one-off medical, I guess, volunteerism, as I've heard it called before. Rather, it was a rotating set of clinics that go around, I believe it was nine villages, Mm -hmm. and rotate year-round so that even though the providers may change, there's kind of a core set of providers that are there, and they're able to provide uh, some continuity of care which was um, extremely impactful to be able to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, we wanted to, to support a outreach organization that had that right mindset. Um, and his ultimate goal was to eventually have a permanent clinic there. But in, um, you know, that takes time and years. And so he, his goal, um, this gentleman that, that organized it was to make sure that there was um, some sort of health care throughout the year, not just once a year. Um, yeah, it, it was, I guess, the, one of the biggest lessons that I learned was when you go over there, you go with kind of a tool chest of medications that are available to you. And they, you know, set up the pharmacy and, um, you know, if you need something, it's there. But if you run out, you run out. And so for us, it was a learning opportunity about minimalism in medicine and what really matters and what's really important. And when you see people who have, you know, suffered from chronic illnesses and maybe there isn't a medication there to be able to treat it, you can really get the opportunity to connect with them and talk to them about ways to prevent um, further injury and damage. For example, um, uh, blindness is very common. Um, there, um, mostly because of um, the sun, the sand, that kind of thing, uh, when you go up to the higher elevations. And so as a result, um, preventive measures, even as simple as having sunglasses that were passed out, um, can make a huge difference in that person's life. And it doesn't have to always be a complicated medical regimen. Being able to actually spend time with people and listen to them um, is for me, that was the moment where I realized, okay, there's, there's some, there's some deeper connection that happens when you sit down and actually listen to someone, and and you can make a big difference in their life when that happens. Yeah, we we were fortunate enough to have translators, and so um, it of course there was that language barrier, but even through that language barrier, we will we were able to actually, you know, um, dissect people's day-to-day lives and kind of get to the etiology of why they were having the issues they were having. And so much of it was preventable. And I think that played a big role in our kind of forming love of family medicine is realizing that when you take the time to put the whole picture um, together and kind of have that holistic view of what's their day-to-day, what's their nutrition, what's their family support, um, and developing a plan that um, is sustainable even when the medications are have run out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and getting to the to the kind of root cause of things and how far that can go and then also kind of really realizing that even though we were half a world away that so many of the issues that they were having we were seeing in the West Virginian population too that we weren't so different even though we were so far apart um, and often those preventative measures um, you know regular dental care regular checkups things like that um, were very difficult for even um, our patients in these rural West Virginia towns to and and all across America you know have those issues again with access so it was another reiteration of how important just access to medication or not sorry how important access to medicine um, is um, and and just by being there for people you can have a huge impact even if you might not have every um, uh, trick in the bag <laughs> I, I can easily see how you guys have been able to use your experience there to strengthen your desire and your drive to do DPC because yes, access to care is exactly what the DPC movement is targeting. And um, I, I empathize with you when you share your story. I went to Creighton Medical School where they have a program that does medical volunteerism. And I also have, they also have a program that does uh, participate in a clinic in the Dominican Republic where year-round there's care and you really do appreciate those differences between the different types of care that you can provide especially when there is a year-round clinic so that's wonderful that you guys got to experience that firsthand yeah absolutely I want to shift to something that you guys mentioned on your FAQ list and one of the questions in the FAQs was do you intend to specialize in anything? And I really chuckled at this because I find it funny that as family medicine doctors, I hear this and I scratch my head and I think to myself, do you know how complicated the human body is? So being responsible for managing the human body, especially in a generalized sense, is a specialty for sure. And on that note, you guys are both DOs. So doctors of osteopathic medicine, for those of you unfamiliar with the term DO, in regards to osteopathy in your practice, how are you incorporating it into your daily practice with your patients? Yeah, so definitely. Um, I, I remember when we put down that question, we, we, we put it on the website because um, it was coming up um, when we were on the vendor stand for a farmer's market. You know, what are you, what are you going to specialize in? Um, or do you have a, an intent to, to further specialize? And, you know, it's not everybody I think knows in the community that family medicine is a specialty. And I think it's really up to us to be able to educate them. We kind of tell people that, you know, family medicine is a specialty, but we, we function as generalists and we're able to treat, you know, 85 to 90% of what somebody encounters in their daily life. Um, but I think when we really peeled that back and saw what they were asking, um, it was really when they say, are you intending to specialize? They were asking, are you intending to stick around with us for the long haul? Or is this kind of a, a waypoint as you go off to a fellowship, fellowship and disappear? And when I hear like, how long have you been here? Or where are you from? Like, I hear that kind of concern because many people have had this experience where their doctors just up and leave and, and disappear and they feel left behind. And all of these issues that now they have to um, remember and figure out how to manage and start from scratch again. And it can be a very frustrating experience. And so we wanted to really emphasize the fact that we're the idea of being able to be the local doctors for a community is like, I, I tell people it's like the secret sauce to our lives. It's the thing that gets us up in the morning with a big smile on our face. And as we, we go to work and we're super excited. And so, um, I want to be clear to people who do have that question that we don't intend on going anywhere. Um, Around for the long haul. <laughs> yeah. And so the, when it comes to how we incorporate the, the osteopathic side of that, we are, you know, we're trained to, to diagnose and treat a wide variety of conditions using our hands and we, and using osteopathic manipulative therapy or OMT as it's called. And in addition to that, you know, we, do spend a lot of time talking about those connections between, you know, mind and body and spirit and finding ways to make sure that we're treating the root cause of an illness and 
um, that is an important tenet to us. And I think a lot of people in the community really resonate with that. Um, so what we tend to do is, um, you know, we use that mindset whenever we see a patient. And then if there's something specific that needs to be focused on as we do a physical exam or a treatment, um, we do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, and kind of going back to our, our training days in our osteopathic um, community um, in Lewisburg, West Virginia, one of the things that, again, drew, drew us to family medicine and, and kind of being so grateful for, for being out there for our training was that there were doctors there that had been there their whole lives and they knew generations and generations um, and they were the doctor of the town. And so, um, you know, m- trying to put people at ease to say, hey, we are around for the long haul because this is why we're doing it. This is why we do family medicine because we want to know multiple generations and really get to know everybody along their lifetime and, and be there for their best times and their worst times and everything in between. Um, and I think we got to to really see the epitome of that um, at our school because of the small town that it was in. Um, that said, we also were very fortunate to have um, great um, training in, in the manipulation therapy um, and not, you know, not everybody continues to use um, that modality, but we we have found that it's really great as adjunctive therapy to not only musculoskeletal complaints, but headaches and constipation and sinus problems. Um, and it really can be the difference of, of having somebody walk out already starting to feel better before they even go and pick up their antibiotics. So kind of having that multimodality approach is, is really satisfying. And sometimes we're able to avoid medications with side effects altogether because we get such a great response um, with those treatments. But um, it's also nice to be able to use medications when appropriate too. It's just kind of, again, another tool in the toolbox um, that we can provide. And we were actually able to do that in the Himalayas. Um, so it's something that's kind of beautiful because you can do anywhere. Um, as long as your hands are there, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been... Um, kind of neat to be able to, to see how that works across the world in, in every state and every town. I have become a huge fan of podcasts. Ever since Sarah Koenig hosted the first season of Serial, I was hooked. Now, creating this podcast has become part of my daily life. While it is an exciting new hobby, I also see it as a privilege that I get to interview so many DPC and direct care doctors. If you are interested in starting a podcast, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. First of all, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's basically everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's such a good feeling and it's such a good thing to hear that you are using your osteopathic training for everyday issues as well as possibly more chronic issues, but that you're able to do all of that, like you said, Christina, without necessarily jumping to a pill uh, as the first line treatment. Um, and I know that you guys also mentioned uh, going to the farmer's market. So I, I would love to hear how that experience has been because a lot of people do meet and greets uh, who, for potential patients online or in person um, or over the phone. But you guys have this opportunity doing doing talks with patients at the farmer's market. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So we definitely have had to adapt with COVID because we, you know, had all these grand ideas of having open houses and kind of doing different things. Um, but we were really fortunate to um, to know a lo- really lovely lady that's in charge of this farmer's market. And um, we're, we're so grateful that we were, you know, able to have a space there. Um, and we thought, you know, what better way to, you know, meet the community than where the community goes every Saturday. And we personally are huge fans of farmers markets. <laughs> it's kind of our, our happy place on Saturday mornings. And we love getting to talk to all the vendors and meeting people there and definitely seeing all the dogs. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's just, it's just a great place to kind of really feel the vibe of the community, get to know people, get to know 
um, small businesses. Um, and so um, with COVID, you know, it was, it was definitely safer to do something outside as well. So it's kind of a, a perfect situation. Um, and so, yeah, so we just kind of set up our, our little table and, um, you know, answer any questions that um, people might have about our practice, especially with us, you know, being a different model and it being relatively new to our area. Um, it was a perfect way to kind of share why we were doing it, um, why we were breaking away from the mold and, and what it meant for them and kind of how it worked logistically. And overall, it's been such a great positive experience because even if patients already have a primary care doctor or they're not looking for a PCP, they're still, you know, again, it's an added support. Everybody's really excited about why we're doing it. And I think it's something everybody can get behind because, again, it's just increasing access and increasing affordability and increasing time um, with your doctor. And so people have, have just been really excited about what we're doing, even if they might not sign on. They're just super supportive of, of us trying to break away from from the mainstream healthcare uh, right. system. I would also say that a lot of times, especially as you're starting a DPC practice, our experience was for the first few months, almost like we're operating in a vacuum where maybe you talk to somebody about it and they'd be like, they would get like a, a positive response, but you know, you're still setting up the website and getting all of these logistical things together, wondering, how is the community even going to respond to this? Are the, is this going to be something that people would want? And so there's a lot of self-doubt that comes with those first few months because it's hard and you're wondering, you know, am I, am I crazy in doing all of this? But when we were able to talk to people in the farmer's market, you can see their eyes just light up when you tell them about your mission and you tell them what you're, you're passionate about and what you hope healthcare will look like in the coming years and how you hope to change how, how healthcare is practiced. And being able to see people just viscerally react in such a positive way to that was this, I, I would say that it was this really positive support for us that kind of helped us charge on even farther and say, yeah, I think we're really, we're, we're on the right track here. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Dr. Melissa Ratliff, and I'd like to wish a happy Mother's Day to all of those moms out there who, like me, have had the wonderful opportunity of having kids, but also happy Mother's Day to those who have mothered other people and to those who have been unable to mother and to those who have been mothers and lost their children. So happy Mother's Day to all. That feeling of being unsure if, if you're doing the right thing or if you're making the right move. Uh, I, I don't know anyone who's, um, who's felt 110% confident once they open up their DPC doors as they're onboarding patients. Uh, so absolutely, you guys, um, you know, have, have lived that and have made it through. And that's wonderful that even though you might not have patients sign up um, because of your um, farmers market tabling today, that definitely does not mean that they won't in the future. Um, because there are some DPCs who, um, that where their patients have a primary for their annual or for their, you know, their Medicare covered labs once a year, but who do they have for their everyday needs? They have a DPC doctor on the side. So I hope that that really translates into you guys um, continuing your strong presence in the community. But that's that's wonderful that you guys still have that accessible during COVID times because yeah. it's really rare to find things like that these days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I will say for all of the um, residents thinking about DPC, one of the other great things about talking to the community is you get a chance to really get comfortable talking about what you do. Um, because I guess sometimes we're taught not to talk about ourselves, not to, you know, bring these kinds of things up, but really you're, you're talking to a community about a problem that they have and wanting to help them with it. And so the more comfortable you can get getting out of your comfort zone. And I think that it, it does wonders for connecting with people in the community where you end up having an opportunity, being able to talk to someone and really reach out 
to a community you didn't even know about when you're willing to have those conversations with people. Yes, absolutely. I want to ask you guys a little bit about the practice specifically. Because both of you guys are practicing, what do your hours look like? And are there times when both of you are seeing patients or does one manage the virtual side of things and the other one goes into the clinic? How is it working for you? Um, that is a great question. So it's definitely dynamic. We're, we're in week, uh, we just finished week four. <laughs> so um, we're definitely, um, we have, what's nice, we have the freedom to change the rules and we've never had so much control over our schedule before. So it's definitely um, changed from week to week, I would say. Um, but it's really great because we can respond to the needs of the clinic, the needs of the business administration side and the needs of the patients and, and have that flexibility because medicine is definitely dynamic in itself. Um, so right now, um, you know, our hours are, are technically nine to four is our last um, appointment uh, visit. Um, but we try to kind of have things um, um, in the middle of the day. So kind of like a 10 to two, if we can, for routine things um, so that we can do some admin in the morning and then um, make sure we have um, time to get to text messages, emails, do any videos or any add-ons that we might need uh, um, that come um, acutely at the end of the day, which is really a breath of fresh air because as you know, in the fee-for-service system, every inch of your day, you're seeing, um, you know, 30 patients and it's this very uncomfortable, very unsafe feeling pace where you don't feel like you have the time to really um, spend enough time with the patients that are in the office or spend time answering people's questions virtually. And so being able to kind of make a schedule so that we can accommodate all our patients and all different modalities of care um, is, is very refreshing. Yeah, I would definitely say so. And it's part of that design. It's extremely intentional because we know and have thought about and really explored in the months prior to the practice, what it is that makes us tick? Um, what is it about having a practice that's most important to us? And connecting with people and having autonomy are, are pretty much um, you know, the top things. And so we back engineered and decided, okay, what would that schedule look like? Um, and that's how we arrived at it. Mm -hmm. In terms of seeing uh, patients at the same time, um, you know, we're still building our numbers. So we've, um, I think for the most part, have had, um, you know, mostly, you know, one of us is seeing a patient at a time. Um, but there has been, you know, as we're getting busier times where we're both seeing patients. Um, and since we both are, you know, trained to do kind of the, um, all the medical side of things, meaning we, we both do our own phlebotomy, we both do our own vitals, um, uh, rooming process, etc. That hasn't been, you know, an issue at all. And um, we can continue to do that. Um, and then what we've done is try to automate the business administration side as much as possible. And um, the EMRs that are out there for direct primary care do a beautiful job of helping with that because you know especially with such a simple billing model um you know that's a set it and forget it um and so there's very little um to manage there and then um scheduling is is pretty simple as well and, and embedded into the emr automatic reminders are within the emr so you don't have anyone who's like having to call and do do those separately um and so and and then having our allotted time to do kind of admin tasks that aren't as time sensitive um it's been working pretty well it's busy um but we've been able to kind of fit um everything we need to in the the business administration side of things as as needed yeah and i would say that Getting that additional training um, through your residency or your you know, past medical experience in phlebotomy and getting comfortable with some of those tasks is a wonderful service that you can provide to your patients. They are not used to having, at least from what I've been told, not used to having a doctor look them in the eye as opposed to at a computer screen, nor are they used to someone listening, spending the time, and certainly not doing the vitals and the blood draws. It's a wonderful high touch way of showing a patient that you are there for them. And so we found that to be a, um, a wonderful thing to add to the practice. And so if you've taken care of the medical assistant type roles, as well as obviating the needs for billing and coding and being able to uh, do your own scheduling and optimizing a lot of these things that are usually quite intensive for a standard fee-for-service practice. Now you're at the point where you can operate with a very um, 
lean model and that allows you to provide even more value to your patients. And so what we've seen is that at this point, the fears of whether or not we are going to you know, raise money to get this big staff and have you know, everybody on service. In fact, none of those things are really necessary. And our patients at this point are really enjoying that one-on-one um, interaction. Another question I have with regards to your clinical practice is that you guys have chosen to not prescribe Schedule II medications like opioids, amphetamines. Tell us about how you decided not to prescribe these versus choosing to prescribe them. Yeah, it was kind of a, I guess, something we put a lot of thought into because we know ultimately the, the state that the country is in regarding some of these medications. And we also looked at what our comfort level is and what we can do with all of these things. So ultimately, when we talk to patients, we have an honest conversation. We say, this is the type of practice where we're looking to do something very different. Um, We want to be able to really spend time getting to know you and find the best possible medical care that we can we can get you and making sure that we're there every step of the way for you. And so when we looked at exactly what it is that we wanted to provide to patients, we found that a lot of patients were really interested in exploring other modalities entirely. And so they wanted to focus very much on sleep, nutrition, um, exercise, mindfulness, all of these other things in order to decrease their use of certain types of medications, and especially with Schedule IIs. Um, A lot of these people have been treated with some of those medications before, and they say, you know, they're not um, interested in, in that anymore. And so while we do still have our, our DEA licenses and we still use our medical judgment to be able to say, okay, for this acute issue, is this something that needs um, kind of an intense form of medic- uh, medication? We're also, because we get to know this patient and have a deep understanding of where they're coming from and what kind of medical issues they're struggling with, I feel like we can provide the best care possible that, that way. And for us, as we're looking to um, move forward with our practice, we saw that there wasn't a lot of space right there for, um, for those types of medications. Yeah, and it's, it's also one of the things that is, I think, underemphasized is the fact that pain management has a wide variety of procedures and medications and modalities that are open um, and that it's not just being on chronic opiates. Mm -hmm. And so being able to reach out as a new DPC practice to members of our specialist community and see what it is they specialize in, what it is they're offering to the community and how can we make sure that people with those needs are getting plugged into the system in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. So we, we are so adamant about holistic care, but it doesn't always mean that we have the best holistic care for them. And I think that kind of yeah. is adding on on your pain management is that there's some specialists that do just such a great job with that one ailment that may use a schedule two, but they have this multi-modality holistic approach in addition to that, that really gets uh, people to their health goals that we just sometimes can't provide um, because of our, you know, just not having that same specialty. And I think um, recognizing the value in, in those different um, different colleagues is, is, is important. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're ready to elevate your level of care and professional satisfaction, register today for the Trusted DPC event that can help get you where you want to go. With three physician-led tracks focusing on starting a DPC practice, growing a DPC practice, and clinical expertise within a DPC practice, the Direct Primary Care Summit has content for anyone no matter where you are in your DPC journey. The DPC Summit is happening June 20th to 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Learn more and register today at dpcsummit.org.
Now, another thing that DPC doctors face, whether they're in a DPC role or whether they're contemplating a DPC role is Medicare versus not to do Medicare or Medicare or to not accept Medicare. So Mm -hmm. for you guys at this time, you're not accepting Medicare patients, but are planning to, if I'm reading the website correctly. So how are you managing pre-enrollment for Medicare patients that you could accept in the future? Yeah, absolutely. And just to give a little bit of background, um, there are a lot of government rules regarding uh, Medicare. It is assumed that every physician is going to be opt-in and and thus seeing Medicare patients under Medicare rules, which in the DPC world can be um, prohibitive. It is essentially against the law for a Medicare patient to pay cash to a DPC or have any form of payment to a DPC um, doctor. It's, it's uh, I believe the term is patient inducement. Um, and there's a lot of legal um, concerns regarding that. But putting all of the legal mumbo jumbo aside, the, the whole point here is how can p- patients with Medicare see direct primary care doctors if they want to? And so in order to make that happen, the physician has to uh, opt out of Medicare. And essentially you are sending a letter to Medicare saying, or the legal representatives of Medicare saying that you are not interested in participating in their insurance program. Um, And they check for that letter four times a year. So quarterly, and it needs to be in a month in advance. And so you have to check to see whether or not you are on the opted out status to see if it is even legal for you to see a Medicare patient. Um, And this leads to a lot of frustrating questions, um, or I should say patients who have questions and are frustrated by um, not being able to see a direct primary care doctor if they so choose. And so what we have done is providing some counseling to the patients who are signing up. When they sign up with our practice, so they go in and schedule an appointment, we get a notification saying, hey, someone's interested in getting a phone consultation and hearing more about the practice. And we use that as an opportunity to talk to them about some of the regulations that come with direct primary care, and specifically if they have Medicare insurance, where we stand on that. And so Basically, as it stands, we are um, in that opt-out period where that should be coming um, live in the next month or so. Um, And so we tentatively will schedule patients in anticipation of that opt-out status going through. And once we have an idea in October, if that can be confirmed, we'll go ahead and see those patients. But we do wanna make sure that we're following any type of uh, federal regulations um, while we're seeing our patients right we won't confirm those pa- we will not confirm those appointments until we have given yes. the the go-ahead by the government that's a little sticky <laughs> yeah and, yeah um so that's one of the very few legal red tape things that dpc doctors or people who are considering dpc should be aware of and there are plenty of really great websites that can show you how to opt out of medicare so that you can have a relationship with those medicare patients That said, part of the reason why it's a difficult decision about whether or not to opt out is because oftentimes um, physicians have to do some moonlighting or side jobs on the weekends in order to sustain their practice as it grows. Um, And so you cannot typically um, do those moonlighting opportunities if you are not opted in in Medicare. There are a few exceptions to that um, that. you that don't count for that but um in general you need to be able to be in medicare in order to moonlight on the side and that's why um, people wait to opt out of medicare until their practice grows enough to be sustainable on its own that said um we are again in a very fortunate situation where there's two of us and so i will not opt out of medicare and not see medicare patients at all um until um until we don't need to do that moonlighting on the side. Um, and hopefully um, we can, I can personally opt out in the spring in the next um, quarterly um, opt out period. Um, but that way we kind of have that ability to grab some shifts here and there um, to make our practice sustainable if, if we need to. 
Yeah. And fortunately, um, our practice has been growing to the point where um, at that point it doesn't appear to be the case. So yeah, that is the hope. We're, we're very excited <laughs> about that. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you guys have a thriving practice being open since August 1st and that you have a strategy in place so that you have protection in case you need to have some extra shifts while you're um, building up your patient panel in your DPC. With you guys being back in the Virginia area and nearby where you went to college and medical school, do you guys plan on having either training opportunities or volunteer training opportunities available to those interested in learning about your model and learning about your clinic in the future? Absolutely. We, we are so excited to eventually have medical students, pre-med students, you know, physicians who are just looking to kind of see what we're doing and are interested in DPC. Um, I, it's definitely, um, you know, an understatement to say that we, we have um, gained so much priceless um, you know, experience from those who were nice enough to let us shadow during those same stages and being able to give it back and, and, and pay it forward, if you will, um, is something that we're, we're really excited to do. Um, that said, you know, we want to also make sure that we, you know, have a great experience for those people. So we're thinking about, um, you know, starting to offer that in the spring once we've kind of established everything and, and, and figured out all the small business nitty gritty and, and, and so forth. Yeah, we want to make sure that we're being as helpful as possible to the people who are, you know, taking time out of their day to come see um, how we do things. So we're, we're, you know, we loved doing teaching and residency and, and working with learners. And so um, anybody who's interested, like we're, we're very interested in that as well. Mm-hmm. Right now we're, we're doing a lot of emails and messages. And so um, kind of trying to reach out that way. And so if, if there are any students listening or, or, or um, you know, any, anyone DPC interested, we, we, are always about, you know, meeting up for a drink or having them come by the practice or, or chatting on email um, or on the phone to kind of, um, again, pay forward kind of all the stuff we've learned so far. Now, I want to ask you guys some rapid fire questions. The first is, how did you come up with your DPC name and how did you create your logo? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can I do the name part? Go for it. <laughs> um, so uh, the defiant name um, definitely embodies kind of how we were feeling in um, the traditional fee-for-service system. Um, we were really honestly fed up with uh, patients waiting an hour in the waiting room to see us just to be rushed through a five-minute visit. Um, and it, it honestly just broke my heart every day. I felt like I wasn't able to give the level of care I wanted or the amount of attention. And the times, you know, patients have been told to... Um, come back if they have another, you know, complaint after they already took a half day off work and, you know, brought two kids with them and took two buses to get to their appointment. And now you're saying they only get one complaint per visit. I mean, it it was a travesty to me. And so um, we wanted to get out of that system, break the mold, say there is a better way. And if we don't stand up for our patients and we stay in the system, then we're saying that it's okay by default. And it's not okay. And so it was time for us to be defiant and go against the system um, and start doing things um, the way that we felt was morally aligned with our beliefs. Yeah. Um, In terms of the logo, (laughs) uh, we kind of, so we brainstormed and we went through a couple of different iterations, but when we decided on the, I guess the defiant J, we never really had a name for that thing, but we knew that there was this feeling of being caged in, in medicine. And we really wanted to emphasize that this is a completely different thing than anybody has seen in our community. And we wanted to give that feeling of really breaking out of the system and of being a little bit freer to do things as uh, whatever's best for the patient and that conversation we have with them. So we wanted to choose a symbol that really emphasize that independence and that um, breaking free of a lot of the things that the modern healthcare system cages patients and physicians into. The sentiments that you guys shared, it's definitely represented in your name and logo. So (laughs) kudos to you guys. Do you have any tech or tools that you use and love? Um, We are about to open up the floodgates. So uh, uh, we were from first principles, really wanting to create this practice in a very lean way. And so a lot of things that would have 
been going out to um, you know website designers or design firms or that kind of stuff, we just tried to do that ourselves. And so a lot of the um, tech that we used was designed to build the website, uh, do video recordings, as well as the logo and that kind of thing. So none of that is necessarily mandatory, but it certainly does help. And I do have a few things that I found um, incredibly useful. Um, the first one would be the iPhone in your pocket or whatever, <laughs> whatever smartphone you have, because that is the camera that we used for all of our filming and for all of our um, photo shoots. Um, we did all of that stuff ourselves, just got really basic equipment and, um, and made it happen. Um, we used a, um, a web app, a Snapseed, for a lot of our um, editing of photos um, to get a more professional look from them. And um, we, when we were doing our videos, I think that that was our bigger purchase. We did like a Final Cut Pro um, 10, I guess, is what we, we were using. Um, and so we're hoping to build with that a little bit more in the future as we're uh, making space for it in our practice. Um, but other things like uh, there, there's other like tech that we used in general, but um, a lot of it was, I would say like you can get 90% of the way there with um, something called Pixelmator, which is um, a very inexpensive, um, essentially like a Photoshop type app for, for the desktop. Um, and we use that to do pretty much all of our web design. Uh, we went through Squarespace for our, our um, web hosting and we used simple things. Um, I think there was, uh, for our microphone, we used a, uh, a Blue Yeti um, USB microphone from years ago, and that did just fine. Um, for uh, writing, we used a, a Wacom tablet uh, for digital artwork, um, but that's not even, it's not even mandatory or required by any means. Um, and then for some of our um, moving shots, we kind of took an iPhone and put it on a gimbal and um, one of those handheld ones and just kind of moved it around. Um, so it's all a bunch of experimentation, I would say, and the tech wasn't something that we did all at once, it's something we did over, you know, months, and we were always kind of fiddling with art and, and web stuff. So what I would say is don't feel overwhelmed by all of the tech that I just, um, I guess, put out there, but I will say that you can do far more than you may think you can with just the tech that you have in your pocket. Um, and so it, it's highly, um, highly attainable and it isn't nearly as insurmountable as I originally thought. Um, so it just uh, requires a little bit of the same ingenuity that a lot of DPC doctors have shown before us. Yeah, and just so you know, we have no financial relationship with any of these companies. We just found it to be extremely useful and it saved us a ton of time and money. Um, but um, if any of those companies are out there, uh, please uh, consider sponsoring us. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, that's where we stand on it right now. For those who are on the point of jumping into DPC but are still hesitating, what words would you tell those people to give them one last push to help them gain that confidence to make that jump? Oh, first, uh, do it. <laughs> just sure. absolutely do it. Um, you know, there's the, there's this common feeling on Sunday nights that I think is shared across all careers of this nervousness that comes with having to go to work on Monday morning and having to this kind of feeling of being like, oh, I can't wait until Saturday. I can't wait till the weekend. Yeah. Um, and we don't have that anymore. Like every day and, and not trying to be like cheesy or, or, or like untruthful, like there's hard times for sure. But we wake up every day excited to do medicine again. Um, we're excited to learn for our patients and to, you know, do a continuing education for the sake of our patients um, and see them in the clinic. And every time we get a call or a text, it's not like it, it's not a burden. We're like, oh, my God, I'm so glad they reached out. Like, thank good they called. Thank goodness they called us and didn't go to urgent care. Like, that's what we're here for. That's what we live for. You know, this is a calling and not a job anymore. Um, and so we are just so grateful that we took that plunge and got to um, kind of take back um, medicine and take back this career um, and, and make it something that we look forward to and don't want to stop doing to the point where we, you know, sometimes do it on the weekends and, and, and have trouble putting down our business side of the work yeah. <laughs> because we're just so excited to be doing what we're doing again. And it's, it's refreshing. Normally, I 
give a ton of advice and just kind of bombard people with it. But um, I think you said it better than I could. So um, I'll, I'll just leave it at that and say, yeah, just do it. What is the best way for others to reach out to you guys if they want to follow up after this podcast? Absolutely. So um, whatever modality works for them, um, our handle is at DefiantDPC um, for both Facebook and Instagram. And you can um, message us through either of those. Um, and then our email is info at DefiantDPC.com. Um, and yeah, just reach out. We can always set up a time to chat or call or Skype or what have you. We're pretty flexible. Yeah. Next week, Look forward to hearing from Dr. Jennifer Hetrick of Hetrick Health. Until then, this is Marielle Conception. For more information on this episode and much more, please visit mydpcstory.wixsite.com forward slash my site. That's mydpcstory.wixsite.com forward slash m-y-s-i-t-e.